right, if you have a Bible, grab it. Go to John chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the table. Uh, those are our gift to you. Uh, you should have also received this. I will go over this in just a few minutes, so hang on to it. Don't stuff it too far into your purse or pocket or whatever. We're going to walk through that in just a second. Uh, we are in a bit of a, a, a teaching series this fall called The New Normal. Big idea is this. Uh, last couple of years, there have been some pretty seismic shifts in what it means to live in the world we currently live in. Uh, those shifts have uh, had pretty significant implications to like just like social, um, economic, political realities. But they're also like there's been some pretty seismic shifts that have deeply impacted what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be a church uh, or, or a community of faith in these in these times that we live in. And what we have what we said last week, and I won't go through all the numbers and all the data again, but basically what has been exposed is this: the church has been woefully inadequate at accomplishing its mission, which is to saturate the world for the glory of God. In other words, there's not very many followers of Jesus in the world. Uh, we, can, we can deceive ourselves into thinking that's the case if we show up to a church that maybe has a packed room, right? We're thinking, oh, wow, we're just crushing it. Like, like I said last week, I used this just by way of analogy. If we had 10,000 people here uh, this morning, I don't know how we'd pull that off, but let's just say we did. We had 10,000 people. We would probably think we're killing it. But the reality is this, 10,000 people is like not even like 1% of our city, right? And so the vision that God has for his church is that every street, every neighborhood, uh, every office building, every elementary school, high school, college, university, campus, classroom, you name it, wherever there's a group of people, God's heart is that there would be somebody there who loves him, knows him, is walking with him, and desperately wants to be a missionary, someone who is going to speak and live the good news of Jesus to that group of people. That's the only way, it's the only way, it's God's way, but it's also the only way that we're going to actually reach the city. I was actually thinking about this yesterday. We had a, a leadership day and I said to, uh, to those who were there, I said, imagine like, let's just say our church is like, you know, 250 people or something like that. It's hard to tell these days, but let's just say 250 people. And well, let's use a round number. Let's use the number 200. That's easier for my math. Let's say there's 200 people in our church. And let's say we all committed to walk so closely with Jesus that each and every day we would have five Jesus conversations every day with someone who does or doesn't know Jesus. It could be, could be like your, your, one of your kids. It could be your coworker. There's a, there's a whole bunch of people that you could have these Jesus conversations with. Five. 200 people, five Jesus conversations a day. Uh, if my math is right, that is 1,000 conversations about Jesus every day. Every day. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about Jesus conversations where you get into like a theological debate or some kind of intellectual debate about, you know, how can there be a good God if there's evil and suffering in the world? I'm talking about a Jesus conversation whereby, you know, God's doing something in your life. The spirit is at work in your life and you share that, that, that work or that something with someone or you, you seek to pray for someone or you seek to bless someone in the name of Jesus. Like you are willing to actually utter the name of Jesus in the context of a conversation with someone who doesn't yet know a thousand a day that's crazy that's one day I don't know what that is times 365 but it's a lot of Jesus conversations over the course of a year thank you that's a lot 
Could you imagine that we had that many conversations about Jesus every single year? What might happen? Well, even if we just use the, 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 and I don't know that this is what Jesus intended with this parable, but even if we just use the parable of the sower and one quarter of those actually landed on good soil. Now let's say you do the math, huh? huh? That's a lot of people meeting Jesus. That's a lot of people encountering Jesus in a way that is significant and somewhat transformative to their life. It's unreal. It's unreal. And so what we need in this season is to uh, live lives, think differently, live lives that are different. And so what we are walking through over the next few weeks is, is something we're calling the missionary pathway. This isn't, it's new in terms of how we're forming it, but none of the ideas on this missionary pathway, are new. you can see this on the screen behind me, um, but this is essentially like what, what we're saying is like the, the things that we need to like zero in on. It's taking all the things that we've been teaching over the years, consolidating it into one sort of concise sort of process by which we can be trained to be sent out as missionaries. And we're just going to teach through it over the next eight weeks. Last week, we talked about this idea of Jesus as Lord. You can see that on the outside, on this outer ring, there's this idea of extraordinary prayer and fasting. And the reason that that is on the outside and sort of this ongoing circle is because while we believe this is the first step, and we're going to talk about that today, what it means, we also believe that it really never ends. We're always, we never move on from extraordinary prayer and fasting. We're always going to be fasting and praying and seeking the will of Jesus. And so what we're going to dive into this week and next week is, is what does it mean to pray extraordinarily and fast? And what you're going to hear each and every week as we go through this series, you're going to hear a story, which you've already heard. You heard Matt's story talking about his own prayer journey. Uh, we're going to do a teaching, which I'm going to do right now. And what you have in your hand with this piece of paper is a resource. We're going to give you a simple resource to practice the thing that we are going to teach on. So we'll get to that as we get towards the end. Okay? So John chapter 15, we're going to come to this text and what Jesus is going to talk about and the way that we're going to orient our conversation around prayer today is around this idea like of, of remaining in Christ, abiding in Christ, pressing into the presence of Christ. And I want to just quickly, if I could, demystify the idea that... Um, the idea that extraordinary prayer and fasting is beyond your capacity or ability. Because I think sometimes when we think of extraordinary prayer and fasting, we, we conjure up ideas in our mind of what this looks like. And I love the way that Matt said it, and it's what you're going to hear us uh, say on a regular basis. Whatever you're currently doing in terms of prayer is what is ordinary for you. So in order to make your prayer extraordinary, here's, here's the ask. Add one thing. Add one thing. If you add one thing, you've just taken your prayer from ordinary prayer to extraordinary. It's beyond what ordinary was. And then once you've done that, add one more thing. And once you've done that, add one more thing. And as we continue to grow in this practice of prayer, extraordinary prayer, we're going to continue to grow in our dependency on the presence and power of Jesus. So let's jump into John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, Jesus, uh, he's going to give us, um, and Jesus does this a lot in his teaching. He uses metaphors, right? He uses parables sometimes in his teaching. This isn't so much of a parable. This is, this is more of a metaphor to help us understand the nature of our relationship with him. 
in, in, in this parable, there's the, kind of this complex yet very beautiful picture. He's going to use three images for us. Uh, one of the images is the image of a vine. And the image of a vine is depicting for us Jesus himself. He is the vine. Uh, another image that Jesus is going to use in this, in this metaphor, this teaching, is the image of branches. And that's us. We are the branches. Jesus is going to say we are the branches that are, that are to remain connected to or remain in the vine. We'll talk about what that means in just a moment. And then the other, the other image in this metaphor is the image of a gardener. And this gardener represents God the Father. And we'll, we'll talk about what, what that means and, and his role in this process of extraordinary prayer and fasting as well. But really what this text is about, what Jesus is going to give to us this morning is an invitation to come to him. An invitation to press into him, to sit with him. And, and we've been talking as we've been going through this series so far of shifts that need to take place in our lives. Shifts that we need to start to make in order to live the kind of life that Jesus is calling us to live. And today's shift is this. We need to shift from having a transactional connection or a transactional interaction with Jesus to having a relationship with him. Now, when I, when I talk about a transactional relationship with him, here, here's what I mean. Oftentimes, the way that we interact with Jesus can be very, very transactional. We come to Jesus with, with a list of things that we want him to do. We, we come to him and we ask him to, to bless our plans. I don't know, if, if you're like me, this is, this is uh, a trap that I can fall into on a very regular basis. I come to Jesus um, and, and I pray to him, but I kind of pray in such a way as like I'm telling him what he should do. Like, like I, I know what should happen. Like, I know what the outcome of a particular situation should be. And so I pray in such a way as to sort of like, it's almost like if I pray it just the right way, I can make him do the thing that I want him to do. I don't know if that relates with anyone. But it, it's, sort of like, it, it's sort of like transactional in the sense that like, I feel like if I put enough in, I'm going to get enough out. It's transactional in the sense, at least for me at times, it has felt this way. And maybe this is just me, but my suspicion is that, that that is not the case. My relationship with Jesus has sort of pockets where it exists, right? Maybe it's in my morning quiet time or it's in, in uh, you know, my, my afternoon quiet time or my evening quiet time. There's a start time, though, to my connection to Jesus. And there's an end time to my connection to Jesus. There's a start time to when I pray. And there is an end time to when I pray. So I pray, and then I get on with my day. Or I have my day, and I pray. But there isn't this dynamic. That rhymed, didn't it? Was that like a poem, almost? Yeah. But there isn't this dynamic to my relationship with Jesus, whereby I am interacting with him. I am talking with him. I am feeling him. I am listening to him. He is speaking to me all the time. And what's interesting is if you start to just look at the way that Jesus taught about what it looked like to have a relationship with him. I mean, I mean, first of all, just, just look at his, his relationship with his disciples. Right? It wasn't like Jesus was up on the top of the mountain and the disciples had to go visit him in order to connect with him and learn from him. They, they actually walked with Jesus. Day in, day out, interacted with him. He spoke to them. They had opportunities to learn from him all the time. You look in John chapter 15, we'll, we'll talk about this in just a second, obviously, but you have this picture of this ongoing connection. The branches are connected to the vine. 
In John chapter 17, where Jesus gives us um, this te his teaching on the Holy Spirit, he paints a picture for us of what it will look like after he leaves and the Holy Spirit comes. And the picture that is painted for us is very much like the picture of Jesus and his disciples, us walking all the time with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit all the time. <laughs> Jesus doesn't say the Holy Spirit's with you in the morning and then you just get on with your day. He says he's with you all the time. The Apostle Paul, when he talks about prayer, he uses language, and, and I've, I've often wrestled with this, right? He talks about praying without ceasing. Like, how does that work? What if, like, when you're driving, you know? Like, how do you, how do, you do that? Because for me, prayer has always been, like, this formal moment. And yet it seems like our connection with Jesus is supposed to be so much more than that. So let's jump into this text. John chapter 15, verse... Let's just start with verse 1. Jesus says this, I am the true vine. Again, here's his metaphor. And my father is the gardener. Now, what's interesting here in, in Jesus' teaching is that he doesn't start by talking about us and him, right? He doesn't start with vine and branch. He starts with vine and gardener. So he's talking about this really, this verse 1, the, the, the emphasis here, the point of emphasis Jesus is trying to make right out of the gate is he's trying to draw our attention to the role of the gardener in our dynamic relationship with Jesus. And there's a really important reason for that. Because what Jesus is going to do is he starts this teaching on what our relationship with him is supposed to look like, this, this process of walking with him, of being in step with him, hearing his voice, listening to his voice, responding and obeying to his voice. As he starts this teaching, he starts with the Father, and here's why, because he is going to show us something that I, I think it's really important. I think it needs to be stated very clearly. Our Heavenly Father's primary goal in our life is to produce fruit. I think sometimes we can shy away from that because there's like a, there's a thread there if we're not careful where we can start to think, oh, are you, are you saying like I have to do something to earn the love of God? That's not what I'm saying. But what Jesus is going to teach us here is that our relationship with him, the way that the branch and the vine is connected, and then the way that the gardener, our heavenly father, comes in and works within this dynamic relationship is to serve one end. That is to produce fruit. Look at what he says in the next couple of verses. Verse 2, he cuts off, this is the father, the gardener, cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. So why does he cut off some branches? Because they bear no fruit. Fruit is important to him. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Why? So that it will be even more fruitful. What is the gardener's primary concern? It is fruitfulness. So he is cutting some branches off and he's cultivating others. Why? For fruitfulness sake. He wants your life, he wants my life to be fruitful. Now what does that mean? What is, it, what is fruitfulness actually mean? Well, thankfully, Jesus defines it for us. We're going to bounce all over this text this morning. Go down to verse 9. I'm going to read from verse 9 to verse 17, because Jesus lays out for us exactly what fruitfulness looks like. Here's what he says, and just notice the words, okay? You tell me if there's a word that pops here. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. 
If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command, right? If you're fruitful, you are my friends. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you my friends for everything that I learned from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. It seems clear to me that that both the Father and the Son are concerned, deeply concerned with our obedience, deeply concerned that we are fruit-bearing. What is the fruit? It's love. I think the word love is used seven times, eight times in those verses. So what is, what is Jesus getting at here? What is he saying to us? It's important. He's saying that the gardener is going to work in our life. He's going to work in our dynamic relationship with Jesus. He's going to cut some of us off. We'll talk about that in just a second. Others he's going to cultivate. He's going to prune. That's not a fun experience, by the way. Right? That, that, what that means is he's going to come into our lives and there's going to be things in our lives that are, that, that, are, that are not easy. They cause pain. They cause heartache. They cause hurt. I'm, I'm personally going through some of those things right now. There's a whole sermon here just on these few verses that I'm not going to preach. But, but here's what I would say. Why does the father, why does the gardener do these things or allow these things to happen? To put us in a position that we have to press further into the vine so that more fruit will be produced. More love will be produced in our lives as a result of the pruning that is taking place. The hard things that are taking place. So what Jesus is saying, and I, and I don't want you to miss this because it's very important. That in our relationship with him, what he desires so deeply is that you would sit at his feet, you would press into him just as a branch presses into a vine, you would be so connected to him just as a branch is connected to a vine that you would receive his love. You would feel his love. You would experience his love. You would hear him speak to you about his love. And then what would happen as a result of that? Jesus already told us, verses 9 to 17, that love would flow out of you. Fruitfulness. So when we, when we talk, just to take a step back from this text for a second, when we talk about the kind of follower of Jesus that is required in the world we are currently living in. Because like, we talk about the 10,000, uh, you know, the 1,000 Jesus conversations a day, the 365,000, thank you for that, by the way, uh, conversations a year. I want you to compare that to the number of sermons that get preached in a year. Right? So we have 52 sermons a year versus 365 Jesus conversations a year. Now, and I want you to just take that I realize that's like somewhat simplistic, but just think about that for a second. And then ask yourself this question. This is a question I ask a lot of you. When is the last time you woke up on a Friday and thought to yourself, if there was just a good mosque, I would go to it? The answer for me is never. The answer for you is probably never. 
Now ask yourself this, when is the last time my friend who doesn't know Jesus, my neighbor who doesn't know Jesus, my coworker who doesn't know Jesus, they woke up and they just thought to themselves, if there was just a good church, I would totally go to it. The answer is never. So, we can't, we want to fill every city, every neighborhood, every, everywhere with a missionary who's bearing fruit, right? What is fruit? Fruit is love. Loving our neighbors, loving our coworkers, pointing them to Jesus, talking about Jesus. We cannot bear fruit. Listen to me. So good. We cannot bear fruit. Fruit will not come off of the branch if we are not connected to the vine. It will not happen. So if there is no fruit from our lives, if there is no love flowing from our lives to others, and love, I mean, Jesus makes it clear, right? It's not just doing nice things for people. It's love that puts his sacrificial love on display, that speaks his name, that points people to him. If that is not flowing from our lives, here's why. It's not a mystery. It's because we are not connected to the vine. Those two things go hand in hand. If our relationship with Jesus is a transactional relationship, we pick it up off the shelf, we use it when we need to, we put it back when we're done, versus a dynamic walk, an ongoing relationship where my life and his life are intertwined, we will not bear fruit. We will not bear fruit. The Father cares deeply about fruitfulness. Jesus goes on, he says this, in verse 3, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now, notice in verse, uh, the first half of verse 2, Jesus says that the Father cuts off every branch that is in me that bears no fruit. And then the second half, he says, well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Verse 3, then he says, you, will, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Jesus is using a bit of a play on words here. The word clean and prune kind of are the same Greek word. And here's what Jesus is saying. It's actually really good news. If you're going through hard things, right, if you're going through a pruning, and nobody wants to go through hard things, nobody looks for hard things, but, but here's what Jesus is saying. If you're going through hard things, that's actually a sign that you are connected to the vine. Jesus is saying, if you, if, you, if you are going through hard things, then you're already clean. It's already an evidence that the, the Father is working in your life because he's actually going to use these things to bring you closer to me. So while hard things are not something any of us want to experience... There's actually a blessing in them in that we recognize that these hard things that we are experiencing are the result of God trying to draw us, God the Father trying to draw us closer to the Son. And then look at what Jesus says next. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And then look at what he says. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Here in these verses, Jesus is reminding us that he is the source of everything that is good. 
He is the source of love. He is the source of grace. He is the source of mercy. He is the source of justice. He is the source of absolutely everything that is good. And if we want those things in our life, again, a picture of fruitfulness, we must go to the source. We must go to Jesus. And don't miss the very simple yet profound principle that Jesus is giving us here. It's the second half of verse 5. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. An honest question to ask at this point would be to look at your life and try and discern Try and, try and evaluate. The Apostle Paul talks about using sober judgment, looking at yourself and using sober judgment and asking yourself, is my life one of fruitfulness? I thought about this the other day. I was talking to a friend and we were just having a conversation. We talked about, like, when is, like, did we talk to anyone today about Jesus? Anyone? And the answer was like, no, we didn't. Nobody. Like 24 hours, not one conversation with another human being about Jesus. Okay? What about the day before that? Well, maybe if I think back to last Tuesday, I think I had a conversation with Jesus, or about Jesus, with somebody last Tuesday. Okay? And what I, what I don't want you to hear me say is like, you got to go out and have all these conversations with Jesus. What I'm saying is this. If those are not things that are naturally flowing out of our life, there is a reason for that. Because Jesus says it very clearly right here. Apart from him, we will do nothing. There is an inextricable connection that exists between the fruitfulness of our lives and our connection to Christ. If there is no fruit, there is a very good chance that we have a transactional relationship with Jesus. We are not walking with him. It's kind of like the difference between a black and white television and a color television. It's like there's no dynamic to it. So what does it look like to walk with Jesus all the time? He tells us right here. Look at what he says says it seven times in these five verses. Remain, 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 remain. Remain in me. Remain in the vine. If you remain in me, I will remain in you. Remain, 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 remain. 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 It kind of go. it seems simple, doesn't it? If we're going to actually have an ongoing dynamic relationship with Jesus, then the remedy to it is to actually remain in Jesus. Thankful that it's so simple, right? But what would happen if we started to walk every single day with Jesus all the time, just like the disciples walked with Jesus? We have the the Holy Spirit with us. What if we started to walk every single day knowing that we have the power and presence of Christ everywhere we go? We have it. 
What would start to flow from our lives as a result of that? We would start to see more and more and more fruit. God would start to show up in unexpected ways. He would start to do things that we've never seen him do before. He would start calling us, speaking to us, prompting us to do things that that we're just not used to doing. And then we would have opportunities to obey. I was just talking to Andrew this morning. He was telling me, hey, last night I was hanging out with a buddy. Guy doesn't know Jesus. Old friends. He was in town. We are spending some time together. He was sharing some things that were really, really hard. And I had this sense that I should pray for him. And he's like, I did it. Cool. That's what we're talking about. He said, I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, can I pray for you? And he prayed for him. What if we were all doing that? What if that was like a normal part of our lives? Five, let's just say five times a day. What might happen? Okay, lean in. I'm going to tell you. Keep it between us. People would meet Jesus. They would meet Jesus. We talk about gospel saturation. Every man, woman, and child in our city having a daily encounter with Jesus and his church. It's beautiful that we have way more than 52 opportunities for that to happen, isn't it? We have 365,000 opportunities a year for people to encounter Christ. That's almost one for every person in our city, if you're doing the math with me. Can I pray for you? Yeah. Cool. I'm going to do that. Unbelievable. That's how simple it is. And I know, I know for some of us, this is like, okay, that might be a stretch, but here's, here's what I want to encourage you with. We're going to talk a little bit in just a second about what it means to remain. But here's, here's what I want to encourage you with. This is actually, it can actually be kind of fun. Like once you start to do this, it's a little overwhelming at first. It's a little intimidating at first. You've heard me share a story about uh, some guys that, uh, that I've been working out with at the gym. And the one guy, his name's Quentin, and he was going off to fight in the Ukraine. And the Spirit just prompted me to pray for him. And I prayed for him at the gym. And... And then this other, guy, this other guy, Randy, got involved, and he, he let me pray for him as well. And then Quinn went off to the Ukraine, and me and Randy started working out. Well, I'll just, I mean, for probably about three months, Randy and I worked out every day together, and I had multiple opportunities to share the gospel with him, multiple opportunities to pray for him. Just, like, we would literally, I'd be, I'd be uh, spotting him at the gym, right? So he's doing bench, and I'm spotting him, and I'm, I'm literally going like, Jesus, do you have anything you want to say to Randy right now? Because this is like an opportune time. He's like, you know, he can't go anywhere, <laughs> right? Like if I let go of this thing, he's on his own, and he's, so he's stuck. I got him for like at least seven reps here, right? Um, multiple opportunities to just go like, he would share something, and it was hard. And I would just say to him, I'm like, bro, that seems like it's really difficult. Uh, I don't have a good answer, but I know somebody who does. Can I pray for you real quick? And I just put my hand on him right there on the, the gym, and we would just pray really quick, not even close my eyes. Just be like, God, would you bless Randy in this? He needs wisdom. You promised that you would give wisdom to anyone who asks. In Jesus' name, 
He's like, oh, thanks, man. Like, he never got mad at me once. Like, not one time. Now, I will say this. He did kind of go rogue. I haven't talked to him in, like, weeks. I don't know if it's because of that. But it wasn't just me he's been ghosting. He's ghosted a whole bunch of other people. But listen to this. Listen to this. So Quentin goes off to the Ukraine. He's fighting in the Ukraine. He sends me a, a message on Instagram. And he says, Chris, he said, uh, you're the only person I know that really believes in God. He said, two of the guys in my, in my battalion or whatever, like they got captured. We don't, or we don't know where they are. We're worried about them. Will you please pray for them? Yeah, bro, of course. Of course I will. That was probably about seven weeks ago. Three days ago, he wrote to me again. He said, hey, I got eight weeks off. I'm coming back to Victoria. I can't wait to see you. I wrote back to him. I said, hey, can we go out for like a drink or a coffee when you're here? He's like, yeah, I'd love that. It's like, this is awesome. I'm going to get to tell him about Jesus again. It's amazing. A few weeks ago, I was in a coffee shop with, uh, with John, a guy in our, in our church community here. We were just doing some discipleship. And there's a girl next to us. I think I shared this story here as well. And, and, and she was just, she was upset. She was crying. She was on the phone. She left. And I just had this overwhelming sense that I was supposed to go pray for her. So I said to John, I'm like, John, I'm going to go chase this woman, which I don't, like, I'm not necessarily endorsing this behavior. This is just how the Lord led me, okay? Young, single mom. I'm going to go chase her. So I get up, and I chase her out of the, out of the coffee shop. And I say, excuse me, sorry, sorry. And she's on the phone. She's sobbing. She's got a stroller. And I said, you seem like you're having a bad day. She's like, yeah, I'm having a bad day. I said, I said uh, this is going to sound weird, but like, I'm a follower of Jesus, and like, I'd love to just pray for you if I could. And she actually said no. She's like, oh, I'm on the phone. This isn't a good time. I said, okay, that's fine. I said, do you come in this coffee shop a lot? She goes, yes, I've seen you in here before. I said, okay, well, I'm going to make a commitment uh, to you that I'm going to pray for you every day until I see you again. And then when I see you again, I'm going to actually ask you how you're doing. Is that okay? She said, yeah, that'd be okay. And then she, she left. And she went her way. I went back in, finished my coffee. That was probably six or seven weeks ago, something like that. I'll be honest with you. I did pray for her for probably a couple of weeks every day, and then I just kind of forgot. I was in the coffee shop just this week, saw her. After I was done my coffee, I was meeting with somebody. It was John again. Actually, John left. I went over to her, and I just said, I said, hey, do you remember me? She's like, yep. I said, uh, how's everything going? How are you doing? She's like, I'm doing a lot better. I said, oh, that's amazing. I said, uh, I said you remember, like I, like, I chased you out of the coffee shop last time. Like, I'm really sorry about that. She's like, oh, no, no, that's okay. I said, well, I promised you that I was going to pray for you every day until I saw you again. This is the first time I've seen you since then. I said, I'll be honest, I didn't pray every day. I probably prayed for about two weeks or so, maybe, maybe 14 or 15 days, and then I forgot, and I just haven't. But then I saw you, and I remi- it reminded me. I said, uh, I said, so you're doing better? She's like, yeah, I'm doing a lot better. Thanks. She's like, that's awesome. I said, uh, you know, I just, yeah, I just want you to know, I think God loves you. I think he cares about you a lot. Uh, I said, if it's all right with you, and when I come in here and I see you, I'm just going to, I mean, I'd love to invite her into something more, but it's just, I already chased her out of a coffee shop once. I feel like that's <laughs> as far as I can go with the relationship. Uh, I said, uh, you know, if it's all right with you, I'd love to just check in with you whenever I see you here at the coffee shop and just see how you're doing. She's like, yeah, that'd be great. I love that. That's awesome. It's amazing. As we start to listen to the Holy Spirit, the voice of Jesus actually speaking to us, like these opportunities are going to present themselves all the time. And the question is, will we be faithful? Will we obey as we hear Jesus speak. But here's the catch. Jesus says, if you want to hear me speak, here's what you got to do. You got to remain in me. So what does it mean to remain in Jesus? Go to verse 11. Here's what Jesus says. He says it so clearly. I've told you this 
everything he said. Here's, here's why. Okay, everything I've said so far, vine, branches, gardener, cut off, cultivate, fruitfulness, love. said all that. Here's why. He's going to tell you what it means to remain right here. So that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I've said all this so that my joy, Jesus' joy, may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So, so Jesus here, this, this is what it means to remain in Christ. What Jesus is saying here in verse 11. This is what it means to, for the branch to remain in the vine, for you to remain in Jesus. Here's what he's saying. I want you to enjoy my joy. To remain in Jesus means, full stop, nothing else. For his joy to be your joy. For you to enjoy the joy of Jesus. That's a lot of joy. That's a lot of enjoying a lot of joy. But what Jesus is saying, it, it, it's, it's simple. It's beautiful. It's mysterious. It's profound. It's lovely. I, I can't think of any other adjectives to throw in front of this. But, but here's what he's saying. I, Jesus, the Son of God, have this insane amount of joy. Joy beyond what you can imagine, comprehend. Not happiness, not fleeting emotion, not something that is contingent on how much money is in the bank or, or, you know, or who's in government or whatever other thing that just kind of moves your needle about how you're feeling about your day. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about happiness. He's talking about an infinite amount of joy. The kind of joy that you know, the writer of Hebrews says, for the joy set before him was it willing to even endure the cross. Like, it's, it's just this insane, countercultural, otherly, spiritual, God, infinite joy. He has it. It's up there. It's his. And to remain in him is simply to enjoy his joy. It's that the joy of Jesus would be, be the thing that we feast on. That we would set our affections upon, that we would look at, that we would sit before, that we would, we would just like drink it in, like this endless amount of enjoying the joy of Jesus. Like it's beautiful. Like he doesn't say, if you want to remain in me, here's what you got to do. You got to get up at five o'clock like Chris does. You got to read your Bible and you got to pray for an hour in a room and it's got to be quiet. And you got to really have a hyper spiritual experience in order to enjoy my, you know, to remain in me. It's not what he's saying. You gotta go to church every week to remain in me. You gotta do all these things to remain in me. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, I have a ton of joy that I wanna give you. A ton of it. Like a treasure chest full of joy beyond anything you could ever imagine, hope, or even comprehend. And here's what it means to remain in me enjoy it. Enjoy my joy. Isn't that beautiful. That's so kind of him. He wants you to enjoy him. That's what it means to remain in Jesus. This is where it gets a little bit dicey, though. I think we can understand this at a theological level. But what does it actually practically mean to enjoy Jesus? 
Have you ever enjoyed him before? Like, have you ever experienced the joy of Jesus before? That's what he's inviting you into. I want to pull this out if you have this. In front of you here is a, this is a prayer tool. Actually, I'm going to invite the band to come up as I do this. In front of you is a prayer tool. This is called the prayer of examine. Don't get hung up on the name. It's simply just a way of saying examining yourself. And this is a simple prayer exercise that you can walk through. It takes about 15 minutes to do it well. You can do it in the morning. You can do it in the night, in the evening before you go to bed. A lot of people typically will do it in the evening before they go to bed, but you don't have to. And the idea behind this prayer is that we're going to examine our day. We're going to examine what we just went through. And if you look at the the document on the front side, there's a little bit of uh, some instruction. But then it talks about number two on the front says, we're going to review your day in four ways. The first way is what you're grateful for. The second way is where did I miss you? The third is where did I join in you? And then uh, the fourth, it says third, but it's not two threes. It's supposed to be a four. What are my habits? And this exercise is designed to put you in a place where you look back over your day and ask the question, where was Jesus in all this? Where was he? And what I love about this, and and this is interesting, is uh, this second one, where did I miss you? Because I think a lot of us, if we're, if we're honest, we go through our day, we miss a lot of Jesus. Like, we're not thinking about Jesus all the time. There's lots of things that are happening throughout our day where, where Jesus was just not a part of them. And what this exercise is actually designed to do, it's actually designed to show you how Jesus is a part of every single moment of your day. As th- there's been many people in the West Village family who've been practicing this on a regular basis. And as they've been practicing it, here's what it's starting to do. It's starting to expand their horizon, their ability to see where Jesus is at work in every aspect of their life. Because you go from one day going, oh man, here's where I missed you. Well, the next day now you see him in the places that you missed him previous. And then you see new places that you missed him. And then you find new ways that you see him. And you start to have this realization that, like, go figure, Jesus is with me all the time and you start practicing listening to him in those moments and so here's my encouragement to you take this take this document say at home and take about 15 minutes every day and start to practice looking for Jesus in your day practice where you see him practice where you miss him practice where he's at work, and then start to live out the reality that he is with you all the time. And as you do this, here's what's going to happen. You're going to start to see that Jesus is with you all the time. He's, he's at work in every aspect of your life. But what I want to do right now is I want to create just a, a little bit of space, just a couple of minutes for us to actually, because I, I think, this has been my experience at least, okay, on this journey. I was really good, have been really good at knowing lots about Jesus. I got verses, I got words, I got arguments, but it kind of stopped there. Like when Jesus talks about enjoy my joy, experience my joy, 
I didn't have that. I've had to learn that. I've had to posture myself in such a way that I could actually receive the joy of Jesus. And my guess is that for many of us, we don't know what it means to enjoy his joy. So I want to put us in a position right now where we can enjoy his joy. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. I want you just to bow your heads with me. Just close your eyes. Ben's going to play like just super light, super duper light. And, and I want you, we're going to take about, just to give you context here, we're going to take about two and a half, three minutes. And I want you to just like slow down. There's probably lots of things running through your mind. And I want you to try and just fixate on Jesus for a moment. Just think about him. I don't know what Jesus looks like to you. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what picture you have of him. But I can tell you this, just based on John chapter 15, that, that Jesus is inviting. Right? He invites us to come to him. So just dwell on him for a moment. in just a second. I want you to imagine yourself actually having the conversation with Jesus. You're going to ask him a question, he's going to answer you. Here's the question, I'll explain it in just a second, so don't actually ask him yet. Okay, here's the question. What do you love about me? What do you love about me? Here's what I want to say before you ask that question. What I'm not asking you to ask Jesus is, you know, like this isn't like a, a self-aggrandizing exercise. Jesus, tell me how awesome I am. But each and every one of us, each and every one of you, is made in the image and likeness of God. You bear his image. You bear his, his likeness. It has been pressed on you. Yes, there is a reality to all of us that we are broken and we are sinful, but there is also a reality that we are his sons and daughters. And I'll just tell you this, because um, pretty much every time I do this with anybody, it's always hard to receive. As a dad, I love to tell my kids how much I love them. Heavenly Father, he's given you gifts, and every good gift comes from our Father above. He loves you. He delights in you. So it's okay to receive. I know it's hard, but it's okay to receive. Now ask him, Jesus, what do you love about me? Listen to what he says.
some of us, maybe not the right time to hear. It's rushed. It's not the right moment. That's okay. That's okay. But for those of us who heard, I just want you to receive what Jesus said to you. I would encourage you to tell somebody, test this with somebody, but receive it. I'll tell you, I'll tell you an interesting story. I did this exercise on Thursday by myself in my own quiet time, and I heard Jesus say to me, I love your passion and zeal. My wife was like, I don't agree with Jesus. Just <laughs> kidding. And then yesterday with some of our leaders, we did a very similar exercise, but the exercise was ask Jesus what he loves about another person. And someone came up to me yesterday and they said, hey, I asked Jesus what he loves about you and he told me he loves your passion and your zeal. <laughs> Come on now. Friends, It's okay to enjoy Jesus. It's okay to allow yourself to be loved by Him. To experience connection and intimacy with Christ. It's okay. It's okay for the branches to be connected to the vine. we might be filled with his love and his mercy and his grace his kindness and that those things would then flow from us this is where it starts that we would enjoy his joy he has a room full of joy that he wants us to enjoy pray for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you that that you speak to us. You invite us to walk with you, to know you, to experience you, to sit at your feet, not just in a moment, but all the time. You want to go with us everywhere we go, be with us everywhere we are. You're speaking even right now to us. The vine, it is flowing. Jesus, you are flowing your love and your mercy and your presence into us. Pray we would, we would just receive it this morning.